Hello, you gorgeous freaks. I'm Stacy. I'm Coulter, and this is Any Crime at All. It sure enough is. So, uh, oh, first and foremost, Johnny Depp won. Yay! Yeah, that's like, a good. Like, seriously, thing. yay. Because Amber Heard, like, ill. Yeah, she's a cunt. <laughs> like, I'm just With gonna, a capital K. Just gonna put it straight, straight out there. <laughs> What else? Uh, that Uvalde shooting. Awful, awful, awful. Our, I know I speak for Coulter as well when I say our hearts go out to those poor families and their friends and of the victims and everyone affected by it because it's awful and I don't know, man. The state's really got to get a hold of what's going on over there because that's fucking bullshit, man. Kids dying for nothing. Oh, little children, man. It's yeah, just... Oh. Seeing the pictures of them is just so sad. I've seen some a couple interviews with like the parents and oh, oh it's just I don't know if I could watch that. It's hard to keep it together. And the cops in that situation, I mean, every one of them should be fired. Get new cops because it shouldn't have taken seventy four minutes and the border patrol to fix things. Like, the Border Patrol should not be doing no, that shit. but it's not their job. No, it's not. But they had to come and... Yeah, I'm just... I'm going to leave it there. Um, if you really want to know everything about that, listen to a beautiful podcast that I listen to called Real Crime Profile. It's amazing. And they break down every single minute of the Uvalde shooting. Is that what you were listening to last night? Yes. It's amazing. It's a great podcast. Anyway, um, so we are on part three of Colleen Stan. Yes, let's get, let's get into it, man. I want to hear the conclusion of all this. <laughs> Chomping at the bit, are you? Yeah. Um, so when last we left, um, Colleen and Janice had gotten away from Cameron. Uh, Janice told Colleen that the company, all of it, was a big lie to keep her there. Yeah. Okay? Yeah, and it was wild. It was, yeah. it was like, tense. Even just hearing it, it was like it was just happening, and I was tense, hoping, hoping they can get away. Yeah. 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 Meanwhile, it actually happened in 1984. Yes. <laughs> um, so, here we go. About a week after Janice and Colleen left Cameron, Janice went back. What? <laughs> I was waiting for that. Cameron promised her he would try to change. He'd go to church and attend therapy with Janice, and there would be no more sadism. Plus, Janice worried about how she would support herself and her two girls all on her own. One night in September of 1984, Cameron was very tense, and this scared Janice. So she decided to try and take his mind off of whatever he was thinking. She asked if he wanted to burn all the bad stuff he had. Cameron wavered, but eventually he agreed. They proceeded to burn whips, magazines, pictures of Kay being hung, stretched and dunked, leather cuffs, the gas mask, and the slave contract. Where's Kay? Or, I don't want to call her Kay. She's gone. She's in Riverside. Colleen. Colleen. Yeah, I'm yeah. not calling her Kay. How, how do you think he felt burning that? He didn't want to burn it. He no. was just trying to appease her. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Uh... Plus, you know, I he's probably figuring I'm burning evidence in case Colleen goes to the cops or, or what true. have you, you know? 
Meanwhile, Colleen tried to get back to a normal life, but she found it hard to let go of Kay Powers, which, I mean, it was seven years, Yeah. Right? She found a job cleaning at a hospital, of course, but she still talked to Janice on the phone daily. It was difficult for Colleen to completely extricate herself completely from the hookers, as they'd been her whole life for seven years. Janice wanted Colleen's promise that she would not go to the police, because Cameron was trying to change, and she said, quote, We owe him that much, unquote. You owe him nothing. That's what I said when I read it. Colleen assured her she would not go to the police. On August 18th, 1984, Colleen wrote a letter to the hookers, and she inserted Psalm 64 from the Bible. I'm going to read this to you, okay? Okay. Now, this is very... She doesn't really remember inserting this into the letter, and when you listen to it, it's quite telling about how she was actually feeling, subconsciously, okay? Okay. Hide me from the conspiracy of the wicked, from the plots of evildoers. They sharpen their tongues like swords and aim cruel words like deadly arrows. They shoot from ambush at the innocent. They shoot suddenly without fear. They encourage each other in evil plans. They talk about hiding their snares. They say, who will see it? They plot injustice and say, we have devised a perfect plan. Surely the human mind and heart are cunning. But God will shoot them with his arrows. They will suddenly be struck down. He will turn their own tongues against them and bring them to ruin. All who see them will shake their heads in scorn. All people will fear. They will proclaim the works of God and ponder what he has done. The righteous will rejoice in the Lord and take refuge in him. All the upright in heart will glory in him. Okay. Okay. So when she wrote it, she wrote this line twice. But God will shoot them with his arrows. They will suddenly be struck down. She wrote that line twice specifically. Yes. No, she doesn't remember doing it. No, but okay. subconsciously... Subconsciously, subconsciously, specifically, yes, she wrote that line twice. Okay, that's very telling. Mm -hmm. um, so back in Red Bluff, things were not going well for Cameron and Janice. He had stopped attempting to change, telling Janice... Oh, this is, this is rich. Telling Janice that, according to a magazine, he had a hormonal imbalance... And it could be cured by drinking one beer every night. That's all that was wrong with him. He needed a beer every night. Yeah. What a fucking... He had a hormonal imbalance. That's why he was kidnapping women and wanting to fucking whip them and dunk them and rape them and... You know, just have a beer. Fuck. You'll be fine. Well, we could cure a lot of the world with that right? prescription. Fuck, oh, if only God. Ted Bundy had a known. Yeah. <laughs> um... Yeah, so by this time, Janice was having panic attacks, insomnia, and she couldn't eat. She was in constant fear that Cameron would kidnap another girl. Then, in early autumn of 1984, Janice took the girls and left Cameron for good. It was Janice's friend, Connie Fleming, who Janice divulged everything to. Okay, so you say she left for good. Mm -hmm. You wrote this. Mm -hmm. Do you mean this? Did she leave for good? It was Janice's friend Connie Fleming that convinced her to, 
convinced her to go to counseling and to turn Cameron in. Janice did both. Awesome. Okay. Okay, I was worried there. Yeah. <laughs> you should have seen his face, guys. I didn't want to... He was like, I swear to God, if she went back. <laughs> That's what his face looked like. <laughs> well, with the end of the last episode and how you began this episode, I felt swindled. <laughs> swindled. What are you, Norm MacDonald? <laughs> I wish. <laughs> R.I.P. Norm. <clears throat> now, the town of Red Bluff, population 10,500 in 1984, very small town, smaller than Wetaskiwin. Yeah. Uh, was suddenly inundated with reporters after the news broke about the quote-unquote sex slave case. It made headlines all over the country and into Canada, Mexico, Europe. It even made it to Japan. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. Mrs. Letty, the hooker's former landlady from 1140 Oak Street, that's the first place they brought Colleen, remember? Yeah. Said, quote, I don't understand this. She had freedom, shopping and all that, unquote. When asked about Cameron Hooker, she said, quote, quiet as he was and everything, it's hard to believe he'd do those things, unquote. It's always a quiet one. Yeah, man. always. That pretty much summed up the sentiment of the town, disbelief, bewilderment, and amazement. Harold Hooker, Cameron's father, said, quote, we thought we had the greatest son in the world. He was a good, easy kid to raise, no trouble at all. He never, ever let his temper get away with him, unquote. Mr. Hooker went on to say, quote, It seems like the public... At least once every show, I'm all tongue-tied. Yep. It seems like the publicity's got him guilty before they even get him to trial, unquote. The Hooker family hired Roland Papendick, which... <laughs> I know, I'm like 11 years old, but that's a funny name. Papendick? Papendick. <laughs> they hired Roland Papendick to defend Cameron at trial. Mr. Papendick needed to talk to his client first and foremost, but before he could, Janice Hooker went to his office. This is the defense attorney now. Okay. Okay, you're, you're leaving me in suspense here. <laughs> Despite having turned her husband in, she told Papendick she could, quote, destroy Colleen's story, unquote. Do you think this was out of guilt? Or fear? A little of both? Um, both plus just stupidity. It's like, come on. Like, there has to come a point where you realize what's right and wrong. Yeah. Like. Yeah. Well, they say it usually takes up to seven times for a woman or a man to leave an abusive relationship. So. Yeah. Assistant District Attorney Christine McGuire, now if that name sounds familiar, she co-wrote this book, The Perfect Victim. Oh, okay. okay. Yes. Yeah, I see your name right now. The book's right in there front of me. the book, yeah. Um, she was given the task of prosecuting Cameron Hooker. She prosecuted sex crimes in Tahoma County. Red Bluff was a part of this county. And by 1984, her success rate was 90%. So, well, yeah, in bitch has got some game. In 1984, that's pre-DNA. Yep. Too. So that's a, a huge success yep. rate. Just if she amazing. had if she had DNA, it'd probably be 98, 99 percent. Oh yeah, easily probably, eh? 
McGuire desperately wanted to get Cameron Hooker for kidnapping on top of all the other charges, including rape, sodomy, etc., you know. The problem was that the statute of limitations for kidnapping was three years in California then. I don't know if it's different now. Unless she could prove that Colleen was held by threat of force and that as long as such detention continues, the crime of kidnapping continues. You get it? For Yeah, yeah. First of all, three years? I know. That's fucking ridiculous. I know. Um, Detective Al Shamblin, he was a major player in uh, interviewing the um, witnesses and such and finding evidence, okay? Um, Detective Al Shamblin found this evidence by way of a slide depicting the slave contract. Remember, he had burnt the contract. Yeah. But Cameron, with all he was, remember, he was camera happy. Yeah. He took a picture of it and kept the slide in one of his sketchbooks. Oh, good. And he must have forgotten about it. That is wonderful. Yeah. Roland Papendick, on the other hand, stated that Colleen stayed because she was in love with Cameron. Yes, she'd been kidnapped. And yes, there had been bondage and sex, but this was all consensual. He related the freedom that Colleen had, jogging, church, even having a job. Therefore, she must have stayed of her own free will. It was Janice that was jealous of Colleen and Cameron's relationship, so she turned her husband into the police using the whole slave story. It was also Janice that found and duplicated the slave contract and made up the lie about the company. Oh my God. I hate defense attorneys so much. Me too. Oh my God. I know there's a need for them because everybody has to have a fair trial and everything, but ugh, just, they make me sick. They're so slimy. During the the trial, McGuire had all the physical evidence on a table in front of the jury. There were two head boxes. Two. There was a large one and a smaller one. And they had it? They had both. They didn't burn those? No. Interesting. They, They probably had sentimental value for the fucking idiot. Um... Okay, so there were two head boxes, one large, one smaller. Whips, a bedpan, leather cuffs, and hardcore pornography. Like, hardcore bondage pornography, you know? I, I mean, like, if you want to look at pornography, go ahead. But if you think it's going to put you in prison, maybe get rid of it. <laughs> <laughs> one day, after a lunch break, the jurors and everyone else came back into the courtroom to see the box that had been under the waterbed. They had disassembled it, brought it to the courthouse, and reassembled it while everyone was out at lunch. So everyone came in and they were like, what the fuck? Oh my god. Then Janice was questioned by the prosecution and she came off as more of a slave than a wife. She sobbed but answered the questions earnestly. Even when D.A. McGuire produced blown-up pictures of both Janice and Colleen being hung by the wrists separately... Of course. The whole courtroom gasped, but Janice held it together long enough to answer more questions. So some of the jury were invited to lay in the box just to see what it was like. And a couple of the jurors did. I did put a picture up on our Facebook group 
of one of the jurors oh, laying in that, a box. That was a juror? That was a juror. I didn't know that. I didn't yeah, know that was a juror. That's why the paper's juror. over her face? Yeah. 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 Um, so Janice's cross-examination was a bit more of a struggle for her. Papendick painted her to be the real villain because, according to him, Janice was so jealous of Colleen. The next day, October 3rd, 1985, it was standing room only in the courtroom because Colleen Stan would be taking the stand. Oh, okay. McGuire started with the kidnapping and a woman that worked at the DA's office, she was like a, a secretary or something, a woman came into the courtroom in order to demonstrate the head box. Officer Shamblin shut the box over the woman's head. The spectators were totally aghast, and there were whispers of Jesus and Oh Christ heard throughout the room. So that must have been... Can you imagine seeing that put on someone's head? It must like, have been so hard. Colleen was there. Yeah. It must have been so hard for her to see what it looked like I, outside the box. Yeah, I would too. think so. Yeah. She was thinking outside the box. Um, bad joke. Sorry, guys. Um, <laughs> it was funny. Colleen knew the measurements of the waterbed box by demonstrating how her arms and legs fit lengthwise and across. Because she would have to move in the box, right, to get comfortable and just... You, you gotta move your body, yeah, you know? Yeah, you have to. So, yeah. So she would be like, uh, across it's this big and she would put her arm up, like... From my forearm to my, my fingertips, that's how wide it is. Kind of a thing, you know? Um, yeah, so she, she did that. She told how Janice once said to her, quote, that if I ever stepped one foot out of the door, I might as well put a gun to my head and shoot myself, unquote. Janice said that to her. Okay. Um, now, I should mention, I should have mentioned this before, I'm so sorry. Before... The trial even started, Janice got complete immunity. Really? Yes. Because they figured they needed her as well to get Cameron into prison. That's, uh, that's risky. Yeah. Very. Um, Colleen related that Cameron would beat her if she didn't clean something to his standards. When asked why she didn't scream, she said, quote, because Cameron threatened that if I screamed or talked too much, he would notify the company and they would remove my vocal cords, unquote. Just what this poor woman went through. Yeah. In graphic detail, she described being raped, sodomized, hung, electrocuted, dunked. That dunking thing, I cannot get that out of yeah, my head. Yeah, yeah. I can't. Reiterated again in this episode. So he tied her arms behind her back she had a blindfold on and then he tied her ankles to a broomstick so the broomstick kept her legs up and he would dunk her in the water and she was she couldn't move like she couldn't hold herself up so she had to stay down there as long as he held her down there he would hold her down there until he would see no more bubbles coming up and then he would bring her up so she's at the point where i have no more breath left i'm going to die and then he would bring her up and for those of you thinking well with the broomstick you couldn't you sit up a bit nope. picture how weak she was too from not eating yeah she was so malnourished yeah and the first time that he ever put her in the tub that she was ever bathed was three months after she got there 
So yeah, which oh man, being in that box in the in California, she must have stunk mm-hmm. like the sweat. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that poor poor woman. Mm. She uh, she even stopped getting her period because of stress, no food, her hair thinned. Yeah, it was just awful. Yeah. So Colleen came across as emotionless and detached, and McGuire thought this might be a problem. So according to APA.org, kidnap victims' typical reactions are with thinking. They have intrusive thoughts, denial, impaired memory, decreased concentration, being overcautious and overaware, confusion, or fear of the event happening again. Yeah, well, okay? that, that that's makes a sense. lot like PTSD too. Their emotions would be shock, numbness, hence the emotionless. Yeah, right. Anxiety, guilt, depression, anger, and a sense of helplessness. Uh, the prosecution's expert witness would explain these reactions later in the trial as well. Now, some people in the back of the courtroom were heard to say, "I hate this part." Quote. What a fool, unquote. Quote, she should have escaped, unquote. And the worst one, quote, she liked it, unquote. It's so simple-minded. It's just simple bullshit. Yeah, just bullshit. Like, yeah. Fuck it's those disgusting. people. Yeah, yeah. Fuck all you people who said that. And say that to people. And by the way, just get over it. Don't help either. Anyway. When Roland Papendick cross-examined Colleen, he brought up the handful of times she told Cameron she loved him, a few love letters she'd written to him, and a picture of her hugging Cameron. Colleen explained that when she professed her love for him, he would treat her a little bit better. The picture was from their trip to Riverside, taken by her stepmom. Now, he had been introduced as Mike, her fiancé. She was just trying to keep up appearances in the picture in order to keep her and her family safe from the company. Yeah. Now, Papendick made fun of anyone who could possibly, possibly believe in something as preposterous as the company. He actually belittled. He didn't belittle her specifically, but he belittled the fact that anyone would believe it. So, in essence, he's belittling her. I'm happy is such a stupid name. <laughs> now, by the time that she had heard about the company, remember this? Colleen had already been thoroughly beaten down. So yeah, Very much so, yeah, because he, he revealed it later on. He's like, this is the situation. Yes, it yeah. was like six months in. Yeah. So she was already... Because he told her that in order for her to be able to have some freedom, right? Right. A little, the tiny bit of freedom he gave her at the beginning. Yes. Because uh, Janice wanted her to help out around the house and yeah. stuff like that. So Then the prosecution called their expert witness, Dr. Christopher Hatcher, Ph.D. in psychology, associate clinical professor, director of the family therapy program at the Langley Porter Institute in San Francisco, and he served as a consultant to organizations and institutes from London to Hong Kong. This guy has done it all. He knows yeah. his shit. 
His background included training programs in hypnosis, terrorism, and victim behavior. His credentials go on and on, but suffice it to say he was the epitome of an expert witness. When asked about the term coercive persuasion, Dr. Hatcher said it had no accepted definition in and was not listed in the American Psychological Association Psychological Abstract or the Index Medicus. Okay? Keep that in your in your head. Coercive persuasion. Okay. Psychologist, psychiatrist. It came about in the 50s. Never stuck because it has no bearing on anything. Yeah. Right? <clears throat> he told about an article in the June 1976 edition of We Magazine, that's yes in French, O-U-I, magazine, that had been found among Cameron Hooker's huge porn collection. What's the title, you ask? What is it? Brainwashing. How to Fold, Spindle, and Mutilate the Human Mind in Five Easy Steps. Okay. Now listen up to these, okay? And tell me if they sound familiar in this case. Step one, seize the victim and spirit her away. Step two, isolate the victim and make her totally dependent on you. Step three, dominate the victim and encourage her to seek your recognition and approval. Step four, instruct the victim and re-educate her to think and act in terms of your ideology. Step five, Seduce the victim and provide her with a new sexual value system. And this was in a magazine? Yes. That's despicable that that was even printed. You know who wrote it? Who? I don't know if it's the same person. Dr. Timothy Leary. Oh, okay. If it's Timothy Leary. Then it makes sense, right? Yeah. Dr. Hatcher, when asked, outlined more steps. And I'm just putting the steps that pertain to this case, okay? Okay. Step 11. Threaten family and relatives with a similar fate. The, comp the company. Step 12. Threaten to sell the captive to an even worse master. The company. Step 13. Continue to beat and torture the captive at irregular inter intervals, which he did. Step 15. Obtain confessions and sign documents having the captive give over more control in writing. The contract? Right. He did every single one of these. Dr. Hatcher then explained, when questioned, that most captives, once free, hesitate to go to the police because they know they will have to relive the trauma. So everyone was like, why didn't she go to the cops? That would be one of the reasons. Quote, with the possible exception of black slavery there would not be a similar situation in which this degree of captivity and sadomasochistic torture of a human being had existed in a previous case, unquote. That was a direct quote during the trial by Dr. Hatcher. Holy fuck. Thank God for Dr. Hatcher. Friday, October 18th, 1985, Cameron Hooker took the stand in his own defense. Papendick asked why he'd kidnapped Colleen. He answered, I had a fan... Excuse me. Quote, I had a fantasy of practicing bondage on a girl who couldn't say no. Unquote. He then lapsed into answers where he was the caring man who listened attentively to Colleen's woes. The only reason she was sweating so much was because she was getting off drugs. 
Oh, wow. And he would take her out of the box for six, seven hours at a time. Oh. And he would hold her hand while she told him of her woes, of her family, and drug use. and. What a generous man letting her out of the box for that amount of time. Yeah. Um, he only hung her that one night, the first time, until she cried and then he let her down because he felt so bad. Man, I wish I could go back in time and strangle this fucking guy. Yeah. So then one night he went down and asked her, like, do you know where you are? Like, you know. So he said they couldn't let her go because she knew exactly where they lived. How? I don't know. Yeah. That... They picked her up on Interstate 5. And put a box on her head. Drove all around. Stopped to get fast food. Yeah, she's got a box on her head this whole time. And then they brought her home. How the fuck would she know where she was? She was coming from Oregon. Yeah. Yeah. I got my thumb pointed back like Oregon's over there. Yeah. <laughs> Oregon's by the kitchen, apparently. Yeah, apparently. <laughs> okay, so also, Janice did most of the torturing, not him. Janice was the one who electrocuted her. He dunked her. Yeah, yeah, he did dunk her. But that was consensual. Kay was into it. Okay, so he was he was putting it on Janice because she has immunity. Yep. Well, and because oh. he's a fucking snake. Yeah, just a snake. I don't even want to say snake because I like snakes. Um, to make a long story short, he was a lying piece of shit and everyone knew it. The defense did call an quote-unquote expert witness of their own, Dr. Lund. He was a psychiatrist. He consistently used the term coercive persuasion. And five or six times, the judge had to tell him to stop talking because he kept trying to tell everyone the legal terms. And the judge is like, that's not true. That's not the law. <laughs> like, stop doing that. I know the law. I'm a judge. You're a psychiatrist. Please stop, you know. Um, he only looked at a small fraction of the evidence. And I mean, pictures that were put out for him he looked at. There were boxes of evidence he didn't even open. And he only interviewed Cameron Hooker. That's it. He didn't interview anyone else for the case. Well, this is not so, not so much an expert witness. Yeah. So Dr. Hatcher had interviewed everyone he possibly could related to the case. I put here, in my humble opinion, Dr. Lund was a dirtbag defense witness. He's doing it for the money, nothing else. You yeah. tell me what to say, defense attorney, and I'll say it. Coercive persuasion. Yeah. I don't even know how that works. Like, what? Aren't they the same thing? I'd like to use corrosive persuasion. <laughs> yep, exactly. So, now for the verdict. Okay. Cameron Hooker had been found guilty of 10 of the 11 counts against him. Colleen's quote to reporters after this was, quote, praise the Lord, justice is done, unquote. Hooker was sentenced to a total of 104 years in a California state penitentiary. Yes. Now, I'm going to reveal one more shocking tidbit. Cameron Hooker is suspected of murder. Really? Mary Elizabeth 
Now, I'm not sure how to say this. I'm sorry if I say it wrong. It's either Spanaki or Spanhake. S-P-A-N-N-H-A-K-E. Spanake? Something like that. Spanake or something? Something like that. Okay, say the name out full again so we just... Mary Elizabeth Spanake. Spanhake. Something like that. I would think Spanake. Something like that, yeah. So she disappeared from Chico, California on January 31st, 1976. Janice Hooker told police that Cameron had kidnapped her. He got her in the car and put the head box on her. Then they took her back to 1140 Oak Street where Cameron hung her by the wrists, whipped her, then strangled her to death. He didn't mean to strangle her to death. That's what he says. He told Janice that it, quote, got out of hand, unquote. Um, They wrapped her in a blanket and took her to an area between Redding and Lassen Park in Northern California. Now, police went with Janice to search for the body, but Janice said, because her and Cameron had driven there at night, she couldn't be exactly sure where they buried her. Marie Spanaki's body has never been found. Therefore, Cameron Hooker has never been charged with her murder. That's an interesting tidbit. Like, mm-hmm. I wasn't expecting that. So, the aftermath. Colleen Stan is afraid to be in crowds and fearful of going anywhere alone. Gee, I wonder why. She has poor teeth, chronic back pain, and she can't sit straight for long periods without support. As of July 17th, 2021, Colleen Stans says she has PTSD and residual physical pain. She's had failed marriages and can't hold down a job. Something a little happier, though, she did have one daughter. Okay, okay. So that's something. I'm going to read you a quote from her. Quote, My first feeling when I was free and reunited with my family was just, I was so filled with joy. It was just like my cup was overflowing with joy. Coming home is the first step to the rest of your life, unquote. Okay. Janice Hooker divorced Cameron in 1986 and took back her maiden name of Lashley. She said Cameron told her his big mistake was not killing Colleen. Today, Janice is a registered associate social worker and she works in Calusa County, California. Her two daughters are healthy, and they're all grown up now. And she has actually remained friendly with the Red Bluff Police Department. I don't know how I feel about that. About Janice? Completely, yeah. Yeah. I think she should have got something. When all was said and done, I think she should have got something. I don't Just the fact that she's a social worker, like, I... Oh, that's what you don't feel right about. Yeah. Yeah. But when it comes down to it, though, she was... Pretty much brainwashed too. You, oh, yes, yes, right? but it's so. it's just. I know she was young and everything, but to make a deal, oh, you can kidnap someone if you give me a kid. Yeah, that, yeah, that that's pretty slimy. Eh? It's just, I, 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 I don't feel either way. I just, I, I feel weird about her a little yeah. bit. That's it. Yeah. So, Cameron. Hooker became eligible for parole in 2015 after the state of California instituted the Elderly Parole Program. This program is for inmates 60 years of age and up 
who have served 25 years in prison. He was denied parole on April 16th, 2015 and December 7th, 2018. Good. As of March 2022, Cameron Hooker's probable cause hearing was pushed to April. Now, according to Heavy.com, this hearing could move forward to a trial. The trial would determine if Hooker would be labeled as a violent sexual offender. So it's the same thing here as, uh, what is it here? Um, Oh, um... Dangerous offender. Yeah. If he is labeled as such, Hooker will stay in prison and get mental health treatment, blah, blah, blah. If he is found not to be a violent sexual offender, Hooker could get released on parole with certain conditions. I don't think he should be let out. No, that's bullshit. Now, I just have a few quotes here that I want to relate to you, okay? Okay. Quote, When you were held captive... People somehow expect you to spit in your captor's face and get killed, unquote. Patty Hearst. We were just talking about her a couple days ago. Yeah. Colleen Stan on Cameron Hooker, quote, I don't hate him. I really feel more pity for the man, unquote. It's an interesting take. And understandable in a way. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> Colleen Stan on Janice Hooker, quote, I don't know why she went along with it. I don't know. I I don't have any bad feelings about her. She's trying to do what she has to do. It's hard for her. It was her husband. Unquote. Yeah. <laughs> I don't yeah, really, you're still like I don't really going back and that. forth, yeah. Uh, See the I know Colleen Stan is a good God fearing person and all that stuff and the Bible says I guess, to forgive. I don't know. People tell you to forgive anyway. But uh, you don't have to forgive to get better. I'm just, I'm letting you know that right now. And I'm letting my beautiful freaks out there know too. Because my abuser, I don't forgive him. I fucking hate him. And Colter, you can attest to this. I'm doing a lot better than I was, say, five years ago. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Just, you know, a little bit of wisdom from Manti Cece over here. Um, so that was the story of Colleen Stan, the girl in the box. Yeah, that was an intense story. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't even know what to say. I'm happy she had a daughter and yeah, stuff. I, I feel bad that she was never able to hold a job or a relationship, yeah. which... That is completely understandable. Yeah. Like. And all her, her and uh, physical any, concerns. To anyone who's been abused. Uh, or not abused for that matter. Imagine being in that situation for seven years straight. Ugh. Like not a moment. Not a second of the day. You don't have fear. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. The, the, fa- the fact that she remained alive and about family and stuff speaks a lot to her character oh very much yeah yeah she was she's a very that's a true survivor very open-hearted loving woman for sure yeah yeah um when i found out that she had a daughter i was thinking to myself i wonder if she was like a helicopter mom and like who could blame her first of all if she was that's interesting yeah 
And when her daughter was a teenager and going out, like, she must have been scared shitless. I would be. Yeah. Yeah. Just I, hearing I mean, the story. I mean, you're just, you're scared shitless for your kids when, when you don't know any shit like this. Imagine going through something like this. Yeah. And then, oh, yeah. I, I can't even imagine. I wonder what it was like eventually when the daughter found out about her past. Oof. I wonder if they actually, if they actually ended up speaking about it. I would imagine. You would almost have to. What Could about she? what about Cameron's kids? Once they grew up and found out everything. It that's always interesting to me when there's kids involved. Yeah. About them finding out later on. Yeah. Like that that one the one kid saw her chained up in the bathroom. Yeah. They were really little. They actually I wonder if they have a memory of that. They put the kids on the stand in the trial. Oh they did? Yeah. Just to corroborate that she was chained up in the bathroom and stuff and they, like that. And they said yes? Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. But uh, they didn't want to keep them on the stand too long because, you know, they were 10 and 8 or something. Or, uh, no, they were 8 and 6 or something like that. Yeah, something around that. 8 and 6, something like that. When I wonder if Colleen had uh, detachment issues from those kids. Maybe so. Like she was around them forever, for seven years of their lives. And... Yeah. Because she really did grow to love them. She was looking after them all the time. Yeah. And... Yeah. That's interesting. Can you imagine what it was like for her those three years in the box, hearing the kids playing and not being able to go to them? Like, oh, yeah, she was under the water bed. It just me there was three years in the box. Yeah. Where she was in the box for 22 to 23 hours a day. Oh, my God. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So, uh, yeah, if you guys like the story, like, let us know. Go on our uh, Facebook group, Any Crime at All Podcast. Uh, we're on Twitter, Any Crime at All Podcast. Hit us up. Let us know what you think. And uh, I just want to say that I really, really appreciate everyone who's listening. I really, truly do. Like, you guys make my life she um, she puts a lot of hard work into this. I just sit here and listen. She's the one doing the research and everything. She's the hero of this. Aw, thanks, buddy. You're welcome. Aw, you're going to make me cry. Now, I do want to throw out this, too, before we end it. That, unfortunately, this will be our last podcast without an ad. Yes. But don't worry. I'm going to try. I'm going to read the ads. I'm going to write them. I'm going to try to make them funny. Yeah. He's a wonderful writer, so... Yeah. Just stay tuned. Um, same bat time, same bat channel. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so this has been Any Crime at All. I'm Stacy. I'm Coulter. And we are signing off. We love you. Bye.